your backpack. Nothing? Nope, I'd say. Nothing. And she'd sigh and sit across from me. Her days were also hard, as she was too weird for the other fourth graders, too plump, too spastic. She never once had a sleepover or even a best friend. But instead of complaining, Pot would try to cheer me up by mimicking the new bird songs she'd learned that day. Drop it, drop it, cover it up, cover it up, pull it up, pull it up, she'd sing. Then say, Brown Thrasher, her dumpling face suddenly luminous. That year, Pot was on a strange ornithological kick, as if her entire pudgy being were stuffed with feathers. She fell asleep to tapes of tweets and whistles and had a growing collection of taxidermied birds scattered around her bedroom. I had no idea where she had gotten them, but was too moony with my own troubles to ask. I avoided her room as much as possible, because she had one particular gyre falcon perched on her dresser that seemed malicious, if not downright evil, ready to scratch at your jugular if you were to saunter innocently by. Those melancholy afternoons, Pot would chirp away until my mother came home from her own bad day at the high school in Van Hornsville, where she taught biology. No, my mother never came in. She blew in like the dust devil of a woman she was, stomping the snow off her boots, sending great clouds of snow from her shoulders. Oh, God, Lolly, nothing, she would say, releasing her springy gray hair from her cap. Nothing, Pot would trill, then leap up to rejoin her stiff little aviary upstairs. My mother would look at the wreckage of my snack, frown, and hug me. Elizabeth, she'd say, and I could hear the vibration of her words in her chest, feel the press of each individual bone of her ribcage. Don't you worry. It will all work out in the end. You're no podunk idiot like the kids I teach. Spare me, I'd interrupt, and give her a kiss on the chin. Then I'd stand, late for swim practice, and leave my nervous little mother to peep out the window at me as I pulled away. That spring, she was dating the garbage man, and when I came home, I may have seen her before going to bed, or I may not have seen her until morning, singing during her preparations for school. There are hundreds of versions of the Cinderella story throughout the world. Serbian Pepe Yuga, Norwegian Kari Trekstrak, Chinese Ye Hessien, German Aschenputtel, French Cendrillon. What most of the stories have in common is both a good absent mother and an evil present one. Fairy tales are not like real life in all its beautiful ambiguity. There are no semi-good, semi-absent mothers, or, for that matter, semi-present, very good ones. That winter, it was only in the pool, feeling the thrust and slide of my body through the water, that I felt good. Only then could I escape the niggling terror of what would happen to my mother and sister when I left them, their sad dinners my sister talking only of birds, my mother talking only of the crap day she had at school, 
neither heard by the other, neither listening. I was the captain and the only girl on the varsity boys' swim team that year, though not much of a leader. During the long bus rides, I only giggled nervously at the boys' boasts about boning chicks I knew they never touched. I wasn't chosen as a captain because I was a leader, but rather because of my teammates' small-town gallantry and my minor celebrity as an oddity in the papers. I was the fastest butterflyer around and could beat everyone, boy or girl, in the region, save for one lightning-swift boy from Glens Falls. The papers all the way to Albany couldn't stop chortling over this fact. They ran photos of me every week, careful to take only my fairly pretty face and leave my, let's face it, overweight body on the cutting room floor. I was very heavy.